Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. Uh, well, we are going to look in James chapter 1, though. We are going to look in James chapter 1 today. So this is that weird Sunday that's, you know, between Thanksgiving and the Christmas season. It's a little, you know, early this year, and... Um, uh, you know, I normally wait until we do the festival of Christmas and then, you know, we do start doing all, all the Christmas stuff. But we are decorated uh, for Christmas. And I was wanting y'all to please thank our decorating committee for getting us ready for the Christmas season. You thank all the hard work they put in. Well, so I'm gonna, I mean, I guess you could say the message has to do with Thanksgiving and maybe has to do with Christmas. I don't know, it might be a stretch. Because, you know, during Christmas, we celebrate the, the birth of the Word of God, and then we have the Word of God uh, that tells us all uh, about it. And, uh, you know, the Bible, the Word of God, uh, tells us what Christ did, what Christ accomplished, and uh, what it means uh, to us. It tells us of His person. It tells us of uh, His words and His great works. And, uh, you know, it does tell us, it tells us about his birth that we'll be celebrating uh, next month. Um, but I say it has to do with Thanksgiving in the sense that I am very thankful for the Word of God, the Bible, because the Word of God, the Bible, led me to Christ. The Word of God, the Bible, told me, I was, showed me that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and then led me uh, to Christ and I was gloriously saved. So I have a great appreciation for the Word of God that points us to God who is uh, the Word. And this Word of God that points us to God who is the Word, it's, not any, it's just not like any other book. I mean, it's not just a book. You know, as Adrian Rogers used to say, I mean, the Bible, it is not the book of the month, it is the book of the ages. And uh, you can't go into the Bible and read it like any other book. You can't read it like a, a novel. You can't read it like it's some fanciful story. You can't read it like it's some sort of psychological self-help book. You can't even read it as a book of ethics because the Bible is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is God's revelation to us personally and it is, and it, so if it's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, it is meant to change us. It is meant to do something in our lives. It is meant to shape us. It is meant for us to accept what it says and then do something with it, to apply what we find here. You know, when you, you hear or you read God's Word, the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture, you don't just hear it and you don't just read it. It is meant to be lived. It is meant to have something done with it. It made me think about my birthday a few months ago. I, I received a, a Weber grill and it, you know, like everything else, it comes in a million pieces and there were instructions in there, in English even. And so I was able to read the instructions. Now, what good would it have done me to do to read the instructions, notice that it's English and say, oh, isn't that nice? and then just set the instructions down, walk away expecting the grill to put itself together. No, I would have to read the instructions and then put the instructions into action. 
And we can't just read the Word of God and think, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't the Word of God nice? And then just kind of walk away and do our own thing. Every time we open up the Word of God, it moves us to do something about it to do something about what we've read. And so I want us to consider today that when we read God's word, we don't just stand there, we do something with it. We do something with the word of God that we read. And so today I wanna look in James chapter one, I wanna read verses 22 through 27, which is hard to say obviously, but let's stand and let's read God's holy and great word And this is what James said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But be sure to live out the message, or your translation might say, be doers of the word, and do not merely listen to it, and so deceive yourselves. For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror, for he gazes at himself and then goes out and immediately forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. If someone thinks he is religious yet does not bridle his tongue and so deceives his heart, his religion is futile. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their adversity and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for giving us the word that tells us about the word. And Lord, may knowing the God who is the word, may it change our lives and use the word that is the Bible to do it. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, you may be seated. Well, today I just want to look at several points that James makes about doing something with this living and powerful Word of God. So first, let's consider what James talks about, about the call for action. There's a call for action. James says at the beginning of verse 22, to live out the message, or your translation might say, be doers of the Word. You know, if someone calls themselves a disciple, that means that they have placed themselves under a teacher. And what a disciple does is take the teaching of the teacher and then applies it in their lives. If the disciple does not take the teaching from the teacher and actually live it out, they are merely a listener. They are not a disciple. And my fear is that there are so many in the modern church today that come to church, they get their religious fix, they hear the Word of God. Every once in a while, they may read the Word of God, but then they just walk away from it without it changing their lives, and they just go and live however they see fit. They're just going to do what they want to do. Now, you know, before anyone might accuse me of making some sort of works salvation claim, I want to make clear, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We are not saved by perfectly keeping the Word of God because no one can perfectly keep the Word of God. However, being saved in Christ means you are born again, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit who gives you both the will and the power to do according to what is written here, according to to live out what Christ commands. 
And so you see the truths and you apply them. And there's three words that we could use to describe this call for action in obeying Christ through the Holy Spirit by following his holy word. So what are these three words? Well, first, this obedience is immediate. This obedience is to be immediate. When you see a truth in the word of God and you understand it within its context, and I stress context, you then take it and, and apply it to your life immediately. When the Holy Spirit reveals something, reveals a, you know, the meaning of a truth that there is in God's holy word, it's not something that you hesitate in doing, it's, it's a truth that is to be lived out now. It is not a truth that you take and say, oh, isn't that nice? And then put it on a shelf for later and say, you know what, I'll deal with that later. Yes, I know God's word says do this, but you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that later, I'll apply it later. You know, think about this, if you were told by a doctor that you had some dreaded deadly disease and there was only one way to save your life and it was to take a particular medicine and they gave you that medicine, you wouldn't take that medicine, go home, put it in your closet and say, you know what, I'll take the medicine later. I mean, if it's a life-saving medicine, you're gonna take that as soon as possible. You're gonna start taking that immediately. Well, we have the word that points to life. It points us to the giver of life. Are we just gonna read it and say, and then forget about it and put our Bible back on its shelf and say, you know what, I'll, I'll just deal with that later. And maybe forget about what we read. No, our, our response to the word is to be immediate. If you would ask our kids the definition of obedience that we gave them when they were little, we would tell them a million times over, they'd probably be able to say it verbatim, but we said, this is what obedience is. You do what we say when we say it with the right heart attitude. Why should our obedience to Christ be any different than that? And so the call for action is, is, is immediate, but not just that. Secondly, it's also continuous. In the original language, the command to be doers of the word, to be living out the message, it's given in a, a format that means you continuously do it. It is a lifestyle that is marked by constantly living out the word of God. I mean, you can't obey God in one area and say, okay, you know what, I'm done with my obedience for the day, okay, I obeyed this one time, I can just go do whatever I want from now on. Okay, I, the, the Bible says thou shalt not murder, I didn't murder, all right, I'm just gonna go live and however I want, that's, that's not really how it works, you know. Or say, I didn't murder yesterday, so I, I'm good, maybe I can murder today, I don't know. But the obedience is to be continuous, I mean, Granted, being a disciple of Christ is a process. It's something that we, we learn and we grow in the word and we find more areas of our life that we need to bring in submission to Christ. And so you find more words to put into action, but it, it, that's the call to action. I'm gonna make the word of God a continuous norm in my life. I'm gonna make the word of God a continuous norm in the way that I live, in the way that I think, in the way that I speak, the attitudes that I have. It's gonna be continuous. Now, yeah, there's things that are hard to put into action and we seek God's help to put them into action. I mean, love your enemies, are you kidding me? But Christ calls us to a different life from the world and so we take his word and we continuously put it into action. We don't obey once and think, okay, good, I'm done for a lifetime, I'm done for the day. 
whatever, it is continuous. And so the call for action is immediate and it's and continuous, but then next, it's also encompassing. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, you learn the word of God, you learn the teaching within its context. Again, I stress context because, you know, there's parts of the Bible that are specific to Israel. I mean, we're not called to make the sacrifices or anything like that. But, but when you read the New Testament, it puts the Old Testament into its context. And so it, it's encompassing in that whatever is meant for a Christian in Scripture here is meant for every Christian. You know, there are not things in Scripture that are meant for me, but not meant for you, or meant for you and not meant, you know, for me. If it's meant for us, it's meant for all of us. And all that is in Scripture that is meant for us is for us. Meaning, you know, we can't go to the Bible like the buffet line. You go to a buffet, there's certain things you get, and there's certain things you don't like, and you stay away from it, and that's the way you work a buffet. But we can't come to Scripture like a buffet because people think, you know, they go through the Bible, they think, okay, well, yeah, there, it says that, but you know what, I, I don't like that, so I'm going to pass over that, that you know, that, and, but I, I kind of like this, so I'm going to live that. I mean, you know, think about somebody saying, you know what, I, I mean, I, I, okay, I won't murder, yeah, and I won't steal, yeah, but, but giving up my pride, giving up gossiping, giving up envying, eh, no, that's not for me. I'll, I won't murder, but I don't mind if I envy and stuff. That's, well, that's not the way it works. You can't say yes to Jesus in one area and then say no to Jesus in another area. In fact, James, a little bit later in James 2.10 says, the one who obeys the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You're still, still guilty. You're forgiven in Christ, but you're still guilty in that, in that area. So again, you know, I, I think of when we, we told our kids about obedience, the meaning of obedience. You know, we told them it, it's not obedience if you only partially obey what we say. You know, when my kids were younger, I would tell them, okay, I need you to do this, and I need you to do that. And then they went away, and then they did this, but they didn't do that. Okay, that's not obedience. So this call for action that James is giving us, it's immediate, it's continuous, and it's encompassing. Next in this passage, James gives us kind of a warning. And so I call it the delusion of inaction. There's a delusion that you can be inactive. James tells us at the end of verse 22 that if you merely listen and you do not live out the word, you are deceiving yourselves. You're deluded. You're deluded if you think you can just listen to God's word but not live out God's word. And then he goes on to describe it with a picture of, you know, someone seeing a mirror and walking away and forgetting what it is uh, that they saw. And so James is saying, look, if you think that you can hear the word of God and then not live it out, uh, you're, you're deceiving yourself, you have faulty logic, you have faulty reasoning because merely listening to the word of God does not make you a Christian, it's when you obey it. I mean, first, there's that call to faith 
and trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. That's part of the word. Do you wanna be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. True salvation is received as a gift by faith, but scripture tells us it is not a faith that is alone. It's not a mere profession. It is not just saying, yeah, I, I believe, but then your life is not changed. Jesus said you have to be born again, right? Being born again means something's different. You've been made alive. And we have to be, you know, we have to be aware of the warnings that Christ gives about this. You know, we think that James is the only one that ever talks about this stuff, about doing the word. But James isn't the only one that, that talks about this. Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the Sermon on the Mount, tells us the same things. For example, in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 27, Jesus gives this warning, and this ought to give everyone pause. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many powerful deeds in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you lawbreakers. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the flood came, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not collapse because its foundation had been laid on rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the flood came, the winds beat against the house, and it collapsed. It was utterly destroyed. Did you hear Jesus? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father. Yes, it starts with believing in Christ. He says, you know, those who hear the word and does them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like the foolish man who builds on sand. And, and, and so anyone who comes here to harvest, I don't want them, I don't want that to be them. I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be anyone. I don't want anyone who has a, ever hear, heard me preach be the one who stands before Christ on judgment day and they say, well, Lord, didn't I go to church every once in a while? Lord, didn't I do a devotional every once in a while? Lord, didn't I walk an aisle and get baptized? And then Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Why? Because they actually never truly responded to Christ and they were never truly born again. They, did, they, they, they may have seen the word, they may have heard the word, but they didn't respond to the word. Yeah, okay, there's this whole cultural thing, but, you know. And, and so James says this type of person is like a man who looks in a mirror, walks away, completely forgets what he saw. He walks to the mirror, he sees his hair isn't done, he sees stuff in his teeth, he sees he's only half-shaven, he still has his PJs on, but he walks away from the mirror, forgetting about it, and he decides, I'm going to work like this, right? He walks away and forgets what it is that he saw. And here's the thing, the Word of God is a mirror. The Word of God is a mirror. It's going to show us who we really are. It's going to show us what's really going on. 
It's not going to sugarcoat anything. Scripture is going to bring us joy in Christ. Scripture is going to bring us hope in Christ. But it's not going to sugarcoat anything. It tells you what's wrong with you, and it tells you what must be done. But then if you walk away from it without living it, what good is that? You're deluded. You're deceived. And I see Scripture telling us about three ways that people are deceived and deluded. One, we could say, is a misunderstanding about what the gospel really is. Because what I, what I, what I mean by this is, you know, the, the average cultural Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian because it's expected. We're in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. I mean, Huntsville might be the buckle of the Bible Belt now. But you know what? I, I, so I'm automatically a Christian or something, right? You know, there's a fundamental flaw in their understanding of salvation and the meaning of faith. Again, always want to stress that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, according to Scripture alone, period. And yet, that same Scripture says that it then overflows into obedience. I can walk an aisle, I can get dunked, I can say I believe in Christ. I mean, I believe the historical facts of Christ, but it means nothing in my life, and I'm just going to live any old way I want. You know, we, we hold to the truths that are found in Scripture, and so we look at Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, and we're like, yeah, for by grace you're saved through faith. That is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. Amen, hallelujah. That is the gospel. But then Paul immediately follows 8 and 9 with 10. I mean, obviously, but the logic of what is said in 10. For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them, so that we would walk in them. And so we have to beware of a misunderstanding about true faith. True faith is not dead. True faith moves us to action. But then there's another uh, delusion, and I call it irrelevance. Irrelevance. There are those who think that certain parts of the Bible don't apply to them. There's those who wrongly think that Maybe certain situations that are happening in their lives make them exempt from what's written in Scripture. Or that, well, I'm, I'm above that, I'm beyond that, something like that. It's irrelevant. This, this part of Scripture and that part of Scripture is irrelevant for me. So, for example, the Bible says to forgive others. But then you say, yeah, but you don't know what that person did to me. And so because of my situation, I'm the exception to the rule. Because of my situation, this part of the Bible does not apply to me. I'm special. And so that part of the Bible does not apply to me. That's not how it works. You don't find exceptions in his word. And so the Bible is relevant to you all the time in every situation. But there's a third delusion that Scripture tells us about, and that's laziness. Laziness. 
You know, people are, are making excuses of why they can't live out God's word and it's just pure laziness. People say, you know what? I, and actually, I have had people tell me these things, literally. I've had people tell me these things. I can't change. Or God made me this way. Or it's just who I am. Or it's just the way I do things. People have said that to me. And I'm wondering, you know what, if you're face to face with Christ and he spoke his word directly to you, I mean, that's what scripture is. I mean, it's God, it's God speaking his word directly to you. But, you know, he, he tells you his word. Would you, would you make those excuses in front of him? Well, Christ, you know what, this is the way you made me. I mean, I am who I am and I'm not going to change. Well, that's not how it works again. What this demonstrates is being too lazy to look at the meaning of Scripture, too lazy to practice Scripture, too stubborn or hard-headed to obey. So we ought not to deceive ourselves with these delusions that somehow we get a pass. Yes, okay, Scripture, it applies to everybody else, but I get a pass because I'm me. No, no one gets a pass from following God's Word. And so James talks about the call for action and then warns us about the delusion of inaction. Well, third, he shows us a portrait of real action. What, what is it, you know, he, he tells us what we're supposed to do with the Word of God here. Verse 25, it paints a picture uh, of how we can put God's Word into action and be blessed by it. And so he says in verse 25, the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in all that he does. So, what is this portrait that he gives us here in verse 25? First, he tells us to study, study the word. He talks about peering into the perfect law of liberty. Other translations might say, look into the perfect law of liberty. The word literally means to like bend down to carefully inspect something. Going to check that out. And so in context, it means that we gaze intently into Scripture with a desire to learn and an intention of allowing it to have its way in our lives. So, you know, we, we don't approach Scripture just because it's the expected thing to do in the buckle of the Bible belt or because it's our habit. We come to Scripture with the intent of learning. I'm, I, I need to learn something for my life. I need... God is going to take his word and apply it to my life. I mean, it's good to read the Bible. It's good to be exposed to the Bible, but a mere five-minute devotion is not going to, is not gazing. It's not studying. It's not looking. You're, in five minutes, you're not going to be able to find the gold that is there. Now, yes, there are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, but we don't just skip over them. You know, we study them. We look intently into them and see what's there. You know, years ago, there was that big fad of those magic eye portraits. You know, it was a big portrait with, with a recurring pattern. And if you, you had to look at it a certain way and gaze into it, and all of a sudden, this 3D picture just popped out. This 3D image that's built into the portrait somehow just popped out at you. And, you know, you had to focus. You had to look intently to see it. Well, the same with Scripture. We don't just read Scripture like we read a blog or a news article or something like that. We gaze intently into Scripture to find its truths for our lives. 
But not only do we study, next, we abide. We actually stay there. Verse 25 says to peer into the law of liberty and fix your attention there. Other versions might say you persevere there, you abide there, you continue there. And what it means is you just remain in one spot. It tells you to live in the Word and let the Word live in you. We don't only read the Word of God once or twice a month and then expect it to like zap us with knowledge. Ooh, I read the Bible first time in a month. Ooh, I got all this knowledge all of a sudden. No, we're constantly in, our, in the Word. We, we study the Word. The, studying the Word is a lifestyle. As one author described it, this has in view an abiding in the law which is ready to receive and obey it as contrasted with the superficial man who goes away from the mirror of God's Word without amendment. Only this willing abiding in the law which is prepared to be effectively transformed by it can lead to salvation. Jesus himself called us to abide in the word. He said in John chapter eight, verses 31 and 32, he said to the Judeans who had believed in him, if you continue or abide to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He told his disciples in John 15, seven, if you remain or abide in me and my words remain or abide in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. That's part of this portrait of real action from the word. We study, we abide, and then next, James says to remember. To remember, James says in verse 25 that a person does not become a forgetful listener. And so that means we have to meditate on the word and we memorize the word and we think about the, what we've read and what we've heard throughout the day. As one author suggested, we should be careful not to give all our time just to reading the Word to see how much we can cover, but after reading a portion, we should carefully, prayerfully turn it over in our minds and appropriate it in our hearts. I mean, it's no good to read a little bit and then completely forget what we read. That's not going to, sh that's not going to show through our life. And so there was one teacher who suggested this three-step method of meditating on God's Word so that we remember, we don't forget, we're abiding there, we're studying, we're abiding, we're remembering. So first, memorize. It's easier to meditate on Scripture that has been committed to memory. It allows the mind to mull over passages while walking, driving, showering, or falling asleep. Second, visualize. See the passage. Let it come alive. Visualize the green pastures, the still waters, and the resting sheep of the 23rd Psalm. And then personalize, put yourself in the picture, pondering the application of the passage to your own life. And so you memorize, visualize, and personalize. Now, and which is good, because I don't know about you, I forget a lot of stuff. Especially as I get older, I'm, I'm always forgetting a lot of stuff. And unfortunately, that includes God's word. And so I need to do whatever I can to remember it. And so we study the word, we abide in the word, we remember the word, and then next, he tells us to do the word. James says in verse 25, don't become a forgetful listener, but be someone who lives it out. One who is a doer of the word. You study the word, you, stu you abide in the word, you remember the word, and you do the word. And James says that when you do that, you're gonna be blessed in whatever you do. Um, David, he gives us that same picture in Psalm 1, 
where he said, how blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. He is like a tree planted by flowing streams, yielding its fruit at the proper time. Its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts. You obey the Lord's commands, you're like a tree planted by flowing streams. That is being a fruitful believer. So let me conclude with these three examples that he gives of how living the word might look. According to verses 26 through 27, first, you'll have self-control. You're able to control your tongue. You're able to control your attitude. You're able to control your thoughts. You're able to control your actions. Next, there's self-sacrifice. You give of yourself to the ministry of the, to those who are in need, whether vulnerable, such as widows or orphans, or anyone God gives before you in divine appointment. And then there is self-denial. You keep yourself unstained from the world, not living for worldly pleasures, but you're living for Christ. So let me ask you something, Christian. Are you just standing there or are you doing something? Maybe you've been a listener of the word and not a doer, so maybe you want to come to the altar and ask God to show where you have not obeyed his word. Or maybe you know someone who's a listener and not a doer and you want to come and pray for them. But maybe today after reflection, you realize you've never truly trusted in Christ. And so maybe your, your faith is cultural, maybe it's familial, you know, my family went to church, so I do. But you've never given your life to Christ. That is the first step of being a doer of the word. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And I'll be up front here and working there to, to counsel you, to lead you to Christ, to do whatever it is that might need to be done. But let God's word affect you. It is living. It is powerful. You will only live a fruitful Christian life if you are a doer of the word. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.